Good morning. There you go. Make sure we're all awake. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Psalm 103, so you can turn there if you want. Before I get started with the text, I'm going to uh, I'm going to attempt to unburden my heart a little bit, and it's a little frightening for me because I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not even sure what all the burden is. But I, for those of you who have been following the news somewhat, you know about the killing of uh, George Floyd at the hand of, a, of an officer. Um, by all appearance, was completely unjustified and 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 straight up murder. And um, several months prior to that, the the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, um, I believe he was from Mississippi or Alabama. Maybe it was Georgia, one of the southern states. Uh, seeing a lot of reaction, a lot of opinion from believers and unbelievers alike. Um, reaction over the most recent killing of George Floyd is, is escalating like crazy right now. I mean, we're seeing uh, not only demonstrations, but riots and destruction in a number of the cities across the U.S., I have close friends who are affected by these things, by racism. Um, one of the reasons I was scared to share what's on my heart this morning is because I, I feel like I, I feel like my mind is in a hundred different directions. So I'm going to try to be as clear as I can. Um, the responses that I've seen to the events past week have been, have ranged from uh, I would say a victim mentality to a righteous indignation of come on, get it together and pull yourself together. We can do it, you can do it. And a lot of sentiments between those two poles. The challenge to me personally, I have one friend in particular who, in particular, who has challenged me and helped me to see a different perspective than than maybe what I was raised with, or. Uh, the demographic in the area that I was raised in the in the type of rural setting that I was raised in um, tends to hold I mean I'm going to expose my ignorance here and say that up until uh, my late teens early 20s I would have thought you were crazy if you would tell me that there's still racism in the United States. 
I remember a, a, a friend of mine that I worked with. Um, who was from Puerto Rico. And he would tell me about some of our little towns around the area where I was raised and the racism that's there. And I'd look at him like, I think, I think you're just imagining stuff. And, and looking back, I think it's likely because uh, as far as I know, our home was not racist at all. We, we, uh, those of you who knew my mom and know my dad know that they love anyone that comes along. doesn't matter where they're from. doesn't matter what their skin color is. doesn't matter how they were raised, what their background is. And I was raised that way. We spent time in Mexico. I traveled in South America as a young man and was exposed to other cultures and and even saw uh, prejudice within other countries, you know, the, the nationals against some of the indigenous groups, and, and really came to see that it's a humanity thing. It's not a black versus white. It's not a Mexican versus Tarumara. It's not Puerto Rican versus Mexican. It's a humanity, it's a humanity problem. Humanity without Christ. It's the same everywhere. So I've been thinking a lot about this um, and I want to just bring something to our attention. You've, most of you have probably seen it, heard it, thought about it. E- even up to two years ago, when people talked about systemic racism in the United States of America, I was like, I, you know, I know we all want a scapegoat for our problems. And I think it has become that for a lot of people. But I also think that there are people who are still seeing systemic racism Maybe even people who are a part of it realize it. Maybe they're blinded to it. I'm open to the fact that I have my own heart. Whatever the case is, whatever your perspective is from your upbringing, from your family culture, from your church culture, from your community culture, I would like to implore us as a church, as a body of Christ, to be sensitive. Whether or not it's justified, whether or not it's right or wrong, whether or not it's lopsided, whether or not it's tainted and tarnished by the liberal media, the, the whatever, the conservative, the conservative media, whoever it is you listen to, there is a fact out there is the fact that there is a demographic in our country who feels unsafe. There's probably more than one, but there's one in particular. And when one group of people is in the spotlight, it's not really a good time to say, well, hey, what about this group of people? Almost as a rebuttal. And I, I've seen some of that even with, with some of my friends. 
I would like to say let's, let's be good listeners through this time. And let's have wisdom to filter the news through the eyes of Jesus Christ, who loves all men, who died for everyone. The biggest thing that troubles me um, about what I'm trying to convey to you is that in our culture, in our little bubbles that we have grown up in, our subcultures, um, Amish, Mennonite background for the most part, it has been relatively easy to hear the news and say, well, that's a problem from out there. We don't really have that problem here. And I, you know, I hate that's happening. But, And we don't say it. We just live it. I think the work of Love Life, and, and we were in Greensboro yesterday and saw, saw there again the contrast. And, and it really kind of stirred up again in my heart what I've been feeling all week. But... The, the work of life has helped to bring that to the forefront of my mind as well. And the, the principle is this, that if you're silent and don't oppose the wrong, don't stand up to it, then you're at very best being passive and just letting it happen under your nose. That to really care, genuinely care, not just with your words but with your actions... We have to speak out. We saw it happening in Greensboro um, yesterday, and and it grieved my heart that the world there is getting a mixed signal from the church. There was one group that was preaching hellfire and brimstone, extremely condemning, and I actually... Uh, I hope I wasn't wrong in praying this, but I just prayed that that they would be silenced. Not because I was grieved that Scripture was being read, but the attitude that I sensed coming from it was just... I thought of what Nathan said to David when he says, You've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. And when when we go in the wrong way or misrepresent the gospel... We give cause to the enemies of God to blaspheme. On the other hand, there were pastors. We were told two pastors yesterday that were among the clinic escorts, helping the ladies into the clinic to get abortions. Think about what an atheist in that, or you know, whoever the rest of the people are. Think about the mixed message they're getting from those that name the name of Christ. As a church, that should grieve us tremendously and bring us to our knees and ask God to teach us to pray. What is the right thing to pray in this moment for our country, for the social issues of today? It has been easy for me to ignore social issues in my community and in my country because I'm not so much directly affected by them. I got enough problems of my own. I got 
you know, I'm busy, I got church, I got my family, I got this and that. But I'm more and more tormented with the thought that to be silent is to condone it. To be silent in the face of the evils that we're seeing in our country is is to give it a free pass. And scripture says that we are to have no un, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so, um, for those of you whose lives have been reproving evil, whose words have been reproving evil, God bless you and thank you for your faithfulness. Keep on um, being a voice for the voiceless. Um, I've been praying, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do? In, in, in the middle of all that, we've, all that we've seen and heard in the last couple weeks, um, I mean, I, I watched a part of the video of, of George Floyd's killing. And it was all I could do to watch half of it. I can see why there's some angry people in our country. I mean, they're, they, I saw a news article where they burned a $30 million affordable housing. I mean, it's just, just flat. It's gone. Those things, obviously, we know they're not helping. Them that without reaching out isn't helping either. And so there's a there's a uh, I guess from what I could gather a well-known rap artist who who uh, made a little video and I watched it last night and and one of the things he said was so I wear a shirt with whatever justice for George Floyd, or I re- repost something or retweet something. He said, what did I do? Then what am I going to do? And, you know, in my heart I'm saying, I don't know what I'm going to do next. One thing that I intend to do is to listen. Listen to my African-American friends and see where... What is it that they feel? What, why is it that they don't feel safe? And I, I've heard some of them, and I know, you know, some of the perspective there. But in my heart, I, just, I feel like God wants more from us as a, as a church. It is easy for us to sit on the sidelines and criticize when we're not down in the dirt with them. But I've seen... Videos of grown men say we have got to have something better in our country than a black man being shot and two months later the the perpetrators are arrested. Um, So I realize there can be a whole range of responses there. I guess what I'm asking us to do is to say, Lord, what is the place of your church, predominantly white church, In the midst of this culture. You can't feel guilty for being white. God created you that way. 
you can't feel guilty for the privileges and the opportunities you've had in your life. You, you need to use them to glorify God and to bring other souls to Christ. But nor can we be silent but because to whom much is given from him is much required. And so in my heart this morning, I'm just crying out, God, what do you want from your people? What do you want from my life? How do you want me to think about this? And is the right and the wrong time to speak up? I feel bad that the world gets a mixed signal from people who proclaim the name of Christ. It shouldn't be that way, but it's true. And so, for us as a church, I hope that this next week we can be intentionally asking God, what do you want from me? What is the right perspective on racism, on privilege, on, you know, all of the things that are being talked about right now in the in the media. And, and, you know, you see the abuse. It's being used for political gain. It's being used for personal gain. It's being used to vent anger. <clears throat> but the fact is it's there, whether it's being dealt with right, rightly or not. The sentiments, the anger, the feelings, the bitterness, it's there. And, Lord, use us to demonstrate the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of all this. I I hope that made some measure of sense. Um, that's that's what's on my heart. And if you'll turn over to Psalm 103, I'm gonna probably spend most of my time there. No matter what is going on in my life, in my it is always right to bless the Lord. We sang a few songs. I wrote a few lines down this morning. Uh, we sang to the Lord, open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. And lead me in your love to those around me. That's pretty powerful. We just made ourselves available to God to step into the uncomfortable, out of our comfort zones, and be led in the love that Christ wants to display to your neighbors, to your city, to your surroundings, to your enemies. We invited God to fill us with His heart and lead us in His love to those around us. All right. David says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, with everything inside of me, bless the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord God honor and glory and blessing. Worship Him. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and forget not all of his benefits. Does anybody know what the benefits of God are? Somebody raise your hand and give me one or two examples. Colin. Life. Yes. Yes. Yes, Jay. Peace and who said somebody say love? Yeah. And and I'm thinking even even more trivial than those things are food, clothes, rain on the just and the unjust. I say trivial. Maybe it's not more trivial, but but things that we tend to see as more tri- provisions of benefits. It all comes from him. And, and he says, who forgives all your iniquity? Did you ever stop and, and, and think about what it would be like if God gave all of your, forgave all of your iniquities except you one or two? The ones that just really bother him? Sometimes that's how we do it. We forgive somebody for everything except. But he forgives all our iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. I wonder how many pits God redeems our life from that that we never saw the pit because God shielded us from it. <clears throat> and and we were either naive or just simply didn't fall into it. We didn't even realize it was there. There's, a, there's, there's an old hymn that I uh, enjoyed singing when I was younger. There's a line in it that says, Then, Lord, shall I fully know, talking about when we stand before Christ, then, Lord, shall I fully know, but not till then, how much I owe. And I think when we stand before Jesus Christ, we're going to look back and possibly we'll see the road that we came on and we're going to say, wow. We were redeemed from a lot more pits than we even knew were there. And David says here that he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And he satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. And and verse 7 I would like to camp on for a minute. Because... And I've probably mentioned this before. This verse grips me because there is a big difference between being a casual observer of the acts that God does and coming to the place where we begin to understand God's ways. The difference is that you can be at any you can be at any place in your Christian life. You can even be a God hater. Not not even walking with God. You can be a believer, but casually. You can be a hypocrite. And you can, you can still see God. 
I mean, you experience rain. He makes it fall on the, on the just and the unjust. You, you experience the faithfulness of God in the seasons and the fact that the, the leaves come out every spring and they fall off in the fall and, and the snow and the, and the harvest time. And we observe his acts. Tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, lightning, storms, and all of those things. And the children of Israel in those days, they, they saw the acts of God. He parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground and, and they experienced the manna. They experienced the, the uh, well, they observed the, the plagues in Egypt and how that God used them as an example. And, and then they observed their miraculous deliverance when God killed the firstborn in every household and the firstborn of all the animals. And they observed the mighty works of God. And yet when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to fellowship with the Lord, it went too long. They got impatient. They said, well, you know, here we are here in this wilderness and we don't know Moses could be dead up there and, and make us a calf. And we know Aaron made him a calf. And they got to see the works of God, but they didn't understand his ways. And Moses, on the other hand, understood the ways of God because he, he had met God. And God had done a deep work in his heart. And so the psalmist here is simply saying that there's a big difference between being an observer of the works of God and knowing the way that God operates. Uh, there's another place in Psalms, and I didn't look this verse up, but it says, The secret of the Lord is with them, fear Him. And so as we learn to fear God, as we order our lives in the fear of God, God opens up His character to us, and we begin to understand His ways. And Jesus made, uh, made the ways of God very visible to us, very tangible to us when He came and became the exact image of God's person in human form. And he lived out the thoughts and mind and heart of God in a beautiful way so that they become tangible to us. And uh, so through Jesus Christ, it's possible for us to know God's ways. Y'all, that is an amazing privilege that God allows us on this side of eternity to become partaker of his ways. He, we get the inside scoop on the ways and mind and heart and will of God. And I feel like the way this ties into some of the things that have been stirring in my heart uh, about the social issues of our day is, God, show me your ways. How, what is your perspective? I mean, I can have a self-evident politics kind of perspective. That's not the heart of Jesus. Well, you know, I had to work for everything I got. I don't get no handouts either. No, stop. If we're going to understand the ways of God, we have to put blinders on to all of the, all of the influences of the world and we have to seek God. Seek the person of God. Seek way more than just the acts and, and the doings.
of God. We have to get to know Him. And He has made that freely available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, one, two of the outstanding characteristics about the life of Moses, if you study, and I, I didn't have time to go back and read all of uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and, but, but I did do some reading in the book of Exodus, and um, a few things that really stand out to me about the journey that God took Moses on to bring him to a place where he was able to understand God's ways was, number one, Moses tried to uh, to accomplish God's will on his own strength in the beginning. And he went out and tried to straighten up a fight between an Egyptian and a, and a, an Israelite, and he ended up killing the Egyptian. And the next day he went out again, and of course we know he had to cover up his tracks. He buried the Egyptian in the sand, and he he uh, went back again and tried to straighten out Israelites and. Uh, through that, the Pharaoh found out that one didn't go so well. And he, the Pharaoh found out and was seeking Moses' life. And Moses had to flee. He actually fled into the wilderness and started watching sheep for the priest Gideon. And uh, we know that going from Egyptian royalty, which Moses was a part of, to being a shepherd is, is like almost unthinkable. Uh, from an Egyptian perspective, because shepherds were an abomination. So that whole uh, sheep herding industry that the Israelites were a part of was an abomination to uh, to an Egyptian. And so Moses pretty much went from trying to accomplish God's purpose for him on his own strength, crashing all the way to the bottom, being in the wilderness, and then I believe he was 80 years old by the time that God finally had Moses ready to do it God's way. And the experience in the burning bush got with him and, and, and God confirms his identity to Moses and he says, I am. God says it like 15 times. Moses argues with God and he says, God, I, I can't lead these people out. I can't talk. I don't. And the whole way through, God continues to remind Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the I am. Moses said, what do you want? You know, they're not going to believe me when I go to the elders, of the children of Israel and tell them, all right, it's time to haul out of here. We've been here a couple hundred years, but it's time for a change now. They're not going to believe me. And he said, what's your name, Lord? And God said, I am. I am the self-existent one. All by myself. The I am. I am sent you. And then Moses had a long season of seeing the acts of God and learning to know the character of God, both God's long suffering and his judgment as he witnessed God and was used by God to carry out plagues in Egypt. And God gave Pharaoh chance after chance after chance. And so he was able to simultaneously witness the judgment and the mercy of God. My point in elaborating on all that is that God is willing to be very patient to bring us to the place where we understand his ways, And he's not going to take a shortcut. He's, he will go the long way around if, 
if we uh, want to do it that way. He made known his ways to Moses, to the people of Israel. It's beautiful to me to think that Moses had such a close relationship with with the God of heaven that, as far as I know, he's the only, uh, well, I guess beside Adam and Eve, after the fall, as far as I know, he's the only human that was privileged to see God, actually see him with his eyes. And and he could only look at, at the back of God because... God said, no man can see my face and live. And that was after he put a covering over Moses' face. But I, I don't know of anyone else that walked closer to the Lord than, than Moses did. I mean, Enoch and Elijah would be up there with him. But uh, as far as being a co-laborer with God to bring this massive group of people out of Egypt, lead them through the wilderness, have them stumble around for 40 years, and actually die fulfilling your calling... And uh, and that's the way that Moses spent the rest of his life was working with God, being a co-worker with God and learning God's ways. Beautiful, beautiful life that, that Moses lived. And even in the midst of that, uh, you know, Moses hit the rock, got angry and hit the rock because of the murmuring of the children of Israel when they were thirsty. And God said, because of that, you're not going to enter the promised land. There again, Moses, Moses, I mean, if I'd have been God, I'd say, well, you know, you, you've been through a lot with me and for me, and I, we'll let that one slide. But Moses uh, learned the ways of God, the merciful. He is judgment and love and mercy all at the same time. Moses, uh, David says here, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Folks, those are the ways of God on display. Those are the ways of God. He is merciful. He is gracious. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. That is our God. That is his heart. That's... That is how he operates. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man of all the men on the earth. And he had killed somebody early in his life. As we come to know the ways of God and to understand his ways, to seek him to the place that we understand the heart of God, and we can. God makes us gentlemen. 
because it's his character. He also makes us men who get angry at sin. Not angry at having our own toes stepped on, but angry at sin. We don't come to the place where we understand God's ways and understand his heart and still be passive about sin. You can't, you can't, it doesn't go together. We become merciful. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows how he made us. He knows what we're able to handle. As for man, it says here that our days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and reminds me of a dandelion. I mean, they pop almost overnight. They're beautiful in their little yellow patch of glory. And a few days later, it's a white seed head. And then you get a rain or a little wind and she's gone. It's a little stem. That's how our lives are. That's how our lives are. That's how fragile we are. Yet God here invites us to come into his presence and learn. I want to say this. <clears throat> Understanding the ways of God is not a privilege of the casual observer. One of the verses that tormented me before I was born again, my mom got a big poster with this verse and hung it on my wall and uh, she probably she probably never knew how much it bothered me it's a verse from Isaiah that says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart I knew that as long as I wasn't finding the Lord it was because I wasn't seeking for him with all my heart because God was seeking for me And so that verse is still true today for believers and unbelievers. We find God when we assert him with all of our heart. And uh, I want to mention today, too, the knowledge of information we are fed through Instagram, Facebook, uh, our news feed on our phones. Uh, You know, you, you have what they figure are the top stories you're interested in based on your Google searches and the whatnot. And I mean, we are spoon-fed a barrage of information. Besides that, we have advertisements and 
and then there's billboards and we have so much information. I think sometimes if, if my mind were my stomach, I would puke. I mean, we just have so much. And, folks, we've got to tune it out. You have, it, it's like if we're going to seek after God, we have to put blinders on. And then there's all the legit stuff like, you know, business, making a living, family, church, appointments, all, all of the other stuff. And to come into the presence of God and learn to know him. I find that I have to put on blinders and just block some information. There's a lot of it that's not essential to life and godliness. And so we have to choose. We have to be very uh, intentional about life. And today I would just like to remind us that God invites us to come and understand his ways, his purposes, the way he thinks. And what an amazing thing that we can actually uh, bring our minds in and the mind of Christ by invitation of God himself. So that when we look at a situation, we read the news, we, you know, whatever it is that comes our way, that it is actually filtered through the mind of Christ. And that is going to dictate our response. The Bible says the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. I'm in verse 17, ready for 18. Uh, And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 